1: Welcome, everyone, to the Story Box. This is the place to be if you're a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, growing abundantly, and if you want to improve your overall life. My name is Jay Phantom, and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession, all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Let's journey into the Story Box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen, another big episode of the Storybox Podcast. Another big story. Now, my next guest is someone that I have listened to, followed, uh, read his stuff since way back in 2015, when I heard him on Lewis Howes' The School of Greatness podcast, and was instantly uh, captivated by his his story and his message and his wisdom. And I think you guys might be as well. But his name is Sean Stevenson. Now, if that name doesn't ring a bell for some of you, I'm going to read out what he does and why he's so good at it. Sean Stevenson is a creator and the host of the number one health show called The Model Health Show. Every week for the past few years, he's been releasing a new masterclass episode, diving into a wide range of health-related topics. But this isn't your average health information that you've learned about in school. He goes beyond the books and uncovers the very best health information in the world from some of the top professionals as well. And he concises it all down and simplifies it all down to make sure that it's full of style, fun, and has a lot of heart in it. Sean is a great, great speaker. You're going to be really, really captivated by this man. Um, I tried my best not to speak uh, well much and just ask the questions in this episode so you guys could soak up this man's wisdom. Now, Sean is a family man. He's a big, big advocate for that. He says that they inspire him to every single day to want to be a better man and a greater example of what is possible in this world this is what the model health show really stands for as well it's about creating a model your own it's about creating a model for your own model that inspires you to live your best life and also inspires the world around you that's essentially uh in in simple terms what also the story box is about but it's also using your own story to inspire others and be the very best version of yourself you can be, and that's why I was so passionate about having Sean on the show, Um, and he did not, I repeat, he did not disappoint. And he also says, we are here to create our own unique model of health, happiness, and success. Sean is able to show us how. Did I mention that he's a two times best-selling author of two books that I highly recommend you get your hands on, the first is Sleep Smarter and the second is Eat Smarter. Now, definitely go get your hands on the, on the copies. So the, the latest book that he's got out right now is Eat Smarter. So we get to talking a little bit more about eating better, proper nutrition, the whole bit, it's all in here. Um, so I don't want to take you guys away from uh, listening to Sean's wisdom. So with that being said, I I hope you guys really, really enjoy this, but if you do get something from it, share it around to your friends and your family. Let them know about this. Um, Tag Sean on Instagram. Let him know as well what you thought and leave a five-star rating and review over another podcast. You can watch the full interview on YouTube now. All the links are in the show notes below. Just search up the Storybox um, podcast on YouTube. It should come up, but you guys know what time it is. It is time to dive into this story box and listen to the incredible wisdom, advice, knowledge of the man who created the number one health show in the world, Sean Stevenson. It's
0: my honor. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Dude, honestly, I'm, I'm excited, thrilled, all the emotions, of all the above really, uh, to have you here. Before we get started and I ask you all these questions. Great questions that I have roaming around my brain. What is or what does success look like for you?
0: Wow, that is a powerful question. That's a really powerful question. Uh, for me, I really believe that success is fluid. That answer is going to be fluid, depending on where you are right now in your story. You know, so for me right now, success looks like impact. You know, being able to impact as many lives as, as possible with my life, with my life energy that I have and helping the world to be a little bit better than I found it. That for me is is success while also having a lot of love and connection with my family. So a lot of times success can pull you in either one of these directions where maybe you've got a really great family experience, but you know maybe your work is suffering, you're not doing what you wanna do professionally or you know maybe your body is is crushing it right now with your with your fitness goals but you know maybe you're struggling with connecting with your kids so for me is making an impact in the world the greatest impact possible while having incredible connection with the people under my roof that i need to be most protective and and loving and nurturing and giving towards, so that's success for me. That's what it is right now at this time.
1: When was the moment that you realized this? Has it been like this gradual thing over time that you you wanted to make this kind of impact, or was there like a catalyst moment somewhere in your life?
0: Definitely, definitely, there was a catalyst moment. Mm-hmm. But I think, like a lot of people, and I, I, we all kind of think it's unique to us that we feel like we're destined for greatness. We're destined for for something special, there's something special about us. And sometimes we can press that down and act like we don't believe that, but it's an, it's the nature of you being here in this body and seeing through life in your eyes. It is incredibly special. It is incredibly unique in and of itself by its very nature. And so when you have somebody to tell you that you are special, that you are going to do great things, it really just affirms this inherent uniqueness and power that we have within us. And for me, that was my grandmother. Mm. So I kind of always felt like I'm going to do something special, even though I really didn't see what would be considered special in my environment, you know, anything, but mm. uh, my grandmother and grandfather, they worked at a factory. You know, my mother had me when she was a teenager. If you look at my birth certificate, there's no father on the birth certificate. All right. It's not immaculate conception, but you know, he just wasn't around. I never met the guy you know, but I did have a stepfather and he was just such a, a a light, but he also battled with alcoholism. And this was a time in my environment, crack cocaine, you know, we live next door to a crack house, you know, so he's damaged his body and his brain uh, to the degree that, you know, he's an adult living facility, you know, so growing up and having all these conditions, I didn't really see what success looked like or greatness or impact or, even getting outside of my environment. But that catalyst was for change. After I already think life is tough enough, I lost my health, which truly I understand. We take it for granted until we don't have it. This is such a truth. When you have a migraine, or when you're just have a terrible, absolutely terrible sickness that you're experiencing, or the list goes on and on. Everything else becomes so unimportant. You just want to feel better so Mm -hmm. that you can live your life. And so my health was taken away in such a dramatic fashion. You know, I was diagnosed at the age of 20 with a so-called incurable spinal condition, the rapid degeneration of the disc in between my vertebrae. And also my bone density was so low that when I was just 15 at track practice running, I broke my hip. And so, getting this diagnosis that I'm never going to uh, get better, everything is just going to be a a slow decline. They're just going to try to slow the process of decline. It's incurable and there's nothing I can do about it. And so, going through that experience, believing it, you know, because I was very uneducated about how my body even works, even though I live with my body all the time, and my physician telling me, and even though he was clearly not healthy himself, like, and it took me years like it's very recent that i just like actually looked at that like wait a minute he he's clear like clearly you know but we might circle back and talk talk about the magnitude of of that but to tell me that there's nothing i could do about the situation and also to see to get another opinion a second third opinion for them to tell me the same thing that this is incurable and then to finally it took 2 years But because at that point, even though I see myself as a very logical, assertive, I can do, I can get it done type of personality, Mm -hmm. because of the authority figure, the authority that I had in my mind and the, I mean, he must be right. He must know better than I do about my destiny.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. It even sounds crazy coming off my lips right now, but I believed him. It's called a nocebo effect. This is when you get a negative injunction from an authority figure. And the human brain is the most powerful pharmacy in the known universe. And I'm not saying this to, to exaggerate. I'm saying this because it's specifically designed, the chemical, every thought you have is correlating chemistry. Mm. But the chemicals are specifically designed for your receptor sites. They're tailor-made drugs for you. Mm. So it is very powerful. And so the nocebo effect is when you get a negative injunction that bad something bad is going to happen. This is incurable. You'll never walk again you have six weeks to live, all these things that we hear, you're gonna be on medication for the rest of your life. And you see the change that happens, and we have massive, we have mountains of data now showing this. I just shared a study recently on social media with this massive meta-analysis published in one of our most, most prestigious journals, calling out and speaking about how important it is for physicians to be more careful in the words that they use because of the negative health ramifications. And also on the other side of placebo, a lot of folks don't realize this, a placebo in clinical trials, the gold standard of trials, placebo-controlled, randomized controlled trial. We have to account for the placebo. We -hmm. actually have to design studies to account for the fact that the placebo is going to work for a significant amount of people. And what we call these fake drugs or fake surgeries, fake treatments, where it might be nothing more than an inert injection or an inert sugar pill or sham surgeries where you know you put a monitor up for the patient to see There's because we could do that now, we could actually witness a surgery, and you see an incision happening, but they actually don't do any therapeutic treatment. They just kind of open it up and close it or play somebody else's video. And seeing the person's meniscus heal, seeing their ACL heal, or whatever the case might be, we have data on all of these things. With people believing that they're taking a drug to normalize their blood sugar or their blood pressure, the list goes on and on. On average, placebos are 33% effective in treating and effectively, quote, curing different conditions, right? Again, normalizing blood pressure. So going up against lisinopril in a clinical trial, somebody taking a placebo, believing that it's gonna lower their blood pressure, their blood pressure normalizes, all right? So very powerful. And to put a bow on this story of like this catalyst moment was I realized I'd been outsourcing. It took two years. Mm. I've been outsourcing my belief about what's possible for me to people who meant well, but they didn't walk in my shoes. And they already told me that they can't help me. And so I finally asked this very powerful fundamental question, what can I do to get better? I never thought about it in two years. I had completely outsourced my health in any possibility. And by asking that question, I started to see, all there were things already, solutions were, all they already existed, I just wasn't attuned to them. Mm. And so, long story short, over the course of the next few weeks, and stresses out to nine months later, getting a scan done on my spine and seeing the degeneration completely reversed. My two herniated discs had retracted and they were in their proper position. You can now see the light shining through my disc where before it looked like little crispy pieces of bologna that had been so degenerated. My physician said I had a spine of an 80-year-old man when I was 20. And when you have this experience where something so-called incurable is no longer a part of your life, it creates a level of power and knowing in you that nobody, nobody can touch. Mm. And so that catalyst moment for me was it went when it went from myself experiencing this to seeing people at my university campus. My professors, my fellow students, faculty members who saw this physical transformation that took place and asking me for help and then seeing it again and again with these conditions of these situations that they were told they can't improve. This thing can't get better. They're going to live with this thing forever. And shifting all my coursework over to, you know, biology, mm-hmm. kinesiology, nutritional science, all this stuff, opening up my clinical practice uh, as a nutritionist and working, you know, every single day that catalyst moment was coming back from literally rock bottom where I lost everything. I lost my health and everything associated with my relationships, my financial security, almost lost my education. I was barely hanging on at college at that point point. and coming back from that and then shifting my life from one of being self-centered because I had to be self-centered to survive in the environment that I lived in. I had to look out for myself mm. to being focused on service and being other others centric. That was the catalyst, man, was not just healing from what I went through, but seeing it happen in other people just created this level of, of, of authority and and obsession and love and passion that I think comes across in a lot of the things that I'm doing today.
1: What a story, man. And I think you everything that you are doing right now is translating across to so many people. I mean, I'm here in Sydney, Australia, and I learned about you last year and I just soaked up all your knowledge, all the wisdom. And I think it's important for a lot of people to understand and listen to that kind of message that you're, you're putting out there. You do a lot of research. You do a lot of, you talk about a lot of studies as well that have been actually done that we actually are naive about. We don't, we don't do. For me, I wouldn't go and do the research myself. But you've gone and done it for me, and you're putting it out there for people to actually say, "This is real. This is a this is a real study." So, what I'm curious about is Sean, why isn't this kind of stuff that you're talking about? And I'm sure we'll get into uh, so much other amazing content in a moment. But why isn't this really being taught in our educational system?
0: Yeah. This is a great question. I'll just use myself. Again, I've worked with thousands of people, but I'll use myself as an example since we were just talking about me. Because for some folks, they're experiencing this very condition right now. They're experiencing degenerative disc disease. And because now it's become much more of an issue, just like everything else has. Alzheimer's has skyrocketed. Type 2 diabetes, obesity, heart disease, cancer. Everything keeps getting worse. Everything. And it's as if it's not happening. We're not noticing everything keeps trending up. When we have four trillion dollars here in the United States, four trillion dollars invested in our healthcare system last year. All right. Well, now we're at 2020, but 2021, but it was 2019. But here's to, to use me as, as an example, um the the most important thing, one of the most fundamental things that changed and transformed my health and my body was I asked a very simple question. If my if the disk in between my vertebrae, if they're degenerating if i'm losing tissue what what is it made of Mm. what what are my disc made of if my bone density just keeps declining what are my bones actually made of and on the surface there's a nutrient standing at the door which is calcium because of marketing but by asking these questions and and having that investigative capacity that i had you know always you know Doing well in school and all that stuff, but now I have a directive. Mm. And so looking to the data, now I find that there's 20 other nutrients that are more important than calcium. You just don't get the milk mustache along with it. And I'm deficient in 19 of the 20 for sure. You know, silica, sulfur-bearing amino acids. We even need omega-3 fatty acids for bone density. All right. It's a big player in that, but you never hear that and it's one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies not just here in the United States but just all quote industrialized countries you know it's one of the biggest deficiencies massively deficient and so asking what are they what are these tissues made of your body literally cannot create the the tissues if it doesn't have the raw materials to do so and the reason that we're so every what is being taught right now you know, and really with Eat Smarter coming out it just became the number one new release here in the United States of all books, which is crazy. It's absolutely nuts. Uh, Which was, and I see Matthew McConaughey back there on your bookshelf. Eat Smarter became, it was the top 10 of all nonfiction books sold in the United States with Matthew McConaughey, with Barack Obama's book. Mm -hmm. It's nuts. And it's a book about health and about food, because this is the point, food is what everything about you is made of. When I'm seeing you right now and you're seeing me, we're seeing the food that we've eaten. Mm. Our brains that allow us to have thoughts, feelings and emotion, our brain is made of food. The structures that enable thinking, the dendrites, the axon terminals, the gray matter, the white matter, everything about us is made from food. I know the top cardiologists in the world, the top gastroenterologists in the world, the top neuroscientists in the world, every single one of those organs that they treat and analyze is made from food. A cardiologist might spend 12 years in school. And at at most, if they're lucky, they get a couple of weeks of training in nutrition. The fundamental flaw with this is that the heart is fucking made of food. It's made of the food (laughs) that we eat. The blood running through our arteries, our veins, our, our, our arteries themselves they're all made from food how can you treat an organ if you don't even know what the fuck it's made of mm. it's just so obvious it, it is a fundamental flaw in the system a model can only be as good as the underlying premise of that model and the model that our system of health is built on does not give credit or acknowledgement to the thing that we're actually made of we're made of food
1: mm.
0: this is the so to to answer the question why is this such a it seems like a such a uh, uh a crazy idea that food matters so much. It's because of our system of healthcare doesn't acknowledge the very thing that we're made of. It is a is a big problem. But my mission while I'm here on this planet is to change this, it's already happening, but we need something to jettison all of this old way of thinking. You know, we're still basing so much of what we're doing on Newtonian physics. Not even, we're in, we got quantum physics, it's been around for quite some time and understanding there's so much more at play here and we know nothing, we know nothing. The top virologist, you know, this is a big topic right now, the top virologist in the world, the top guy, all right? He's the best of the best, all right? He's got awards on awards, degrees on degrees. He knows less than a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent about viruses and all the viruses that there are. Do you understand? He doesn't know shit. And I think that a big part of our evolution and our growth towards real transformation and, and, and health of our society is being more honest about the fact that we know so little, you know? And that's what I've really experienced. I've been in this field for 19 years and I marvel at how little we know because what it really is is just like in, in, intellect, and and intelligence and, and IQ and 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 success and education, it's really just a process of becoming a little less dumb. All right, because we don't know anything, you know. But then we frame things, you know, especially in, in our conventional medicine, like, oh, they've got this degree, they've got this accreditation, they must be, you know, so brilliant. Our system is wonderful for emergency medicine. Like, mm-hmm. seriously, it is. There's no place better to be, you know, Australia, the UK, United States, you know, uh, Hong Kong, wherever the case might be, where there's so much advanced technology. If somebody has an arm hanging off, like you're not going to use some turmeric. You're not going to like, don't give me some, some, uh, some omega-3 fatty acids. Like, it, <laughs> you know, like, sew that up. But for chronic diseases, the thing that kills millions of people every year, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, here in the United States, obesity, obesity is a causative factor in 400,000 deaths a year. It's as if it doesn't exist. Mm. These systems that are not focused on, let's remove the underlying cause of the condition. And here in the United States, so, and I like to, of course, share this because I'm I'm just a very logical analytical person nature versus nurture I'm not sure but it's just how I'm I'm wired up the journal of the american medical association our most prestigious medical journal our most prestigious do you hear me <laughs> our most prestigious journal a 2018 study they affirmed that poor diet is the number one cause of chronic diseases in the united states it's the number one cause but yet Are we doing anything about it? Are we talking about it? The data exists. Our most prestigious medical journal in a meta-analysis, all these incredible researchers have said it, but our system doesn't address food. Mm. It doesn't matter. My physician when I was 20 years old, and this is one of those like back to the future moments. (laughs) I see Marty McFly back there. I literally use this analogy because I don't know how it happened. I had no grounds for me to ask him the question that I asked. It was as if I went back to the future, like myself now jumped into that body of my 20 year old self. And I asked him when he told me that this is incurable, because I was like, okay, so what do we do to fix this? After he told me the diagnosis, he literally looked at me with pity and like kind of like pumped his hands, like slow, slow down, son. This is incurable. There's, I'm sorry. This is something that uh, just happens. And I'm sorry it happened to you. He apologized. And I asked him, and I have no idea how or why I asked him, I had I asked him, does this have anything to do with what I'm eating? Should I change my diet? Should I exercise differently? I asked that question. It was a miracle. And he cocked his head to the side and he shook his head. He was like, he looked like he was just feeling so sorry for me. He was like, this has nothing to do with what you're eating. This is something that just happens. I'm sorry, son. We're going to get you some medication to help you to manage this. But he said these words too. He said, this is just something you're going to have to live with. Fuck. I mean, what can you believe the, 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 the mind manipulation that happens in that moment? But, you know, again, he was doing what he taught. He was obese. My physician, and he was like one of the best. He was obese and he was telling me about my health. He was telling me what my potential was and not any knock against him. If I come, my family, we'll just say it's 30 of us in my family. Growing up, 28 of my family members are obese. Okay. This isn't a knock. These are good people. They're not, they don't want, my auntie doesn't want to be obese. My mother doesn't want to be obese. She's trying. She's doing the things. She's doing the slim fast. She's doing the point system. She's cutting her calories. But the system is flawed. It doesn't work because it's not focused on. Real tenets of what nutrition is, real tenets of what health is. You know, so it's not a knock on him. He's probably very likely, I never got a chance to talk to him again. He's very likely doing what he believes to be right for his nutrition. It's just not working. And then he creates a self, a state of learned helplessness because it's not working. And he's punishing himself because even though the system he's trying to operate in doesn't work, he's blaming himself. Yeah. Right. He just needs more whole grains. I just need more. I just need to, you know, cut out more of this, cut out more of that because of the diet framework that we were taught, you know, in in, in that time. Low fat, I need more, I need less fat. Every It was low fat was the thing, then. I need to get low fat cheese. I need some fucking low fat water. And then now I'm going to be able to, to achieve these goals. But clearly it wasn't working. And so that's, you know, in a nutshell, I guess, what's really going on right now.
1: I could have just like, you know, passed you the mic and continue going on and on and on. But um, congratulations on, on your book being so successful, firstly. And secondly, what I do also want to go down, I had two questions that sort of go in opposite directions, but I'll ask this question first, because it seemed to come up twice. Um, genetics and looking at uh, how we are made structurally, our DNA, that sort of thing. Um, firstly, for you, was it because of your DNA that you ended up with this genetic disease? Or was there some underlining, you just got it all of a sudden? And can we change our DNA through food?
0: That's a wonderful question. So to start at the end, there are entire fields of nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics mm-hmm. that specifically look at the mountains of data that we have now on how food is an epigenetic controller, how Every bite of food that we take, every single bite changes our genetic expression. Mm. It's incredibly powerful, but there was a phase here, we're still dealing with the remnants of it, that your genes control your destiny. You know, your gene, we finally discover the thing that makes us who we are, our personality, our body composition, our diseases, it's the genes and you're a victim. Mm. You got these genes, You've got, if you've got the FTO gene associated with obesity, that's your lot in life. But that negates the fact that, you know, 40% of the people who have the FTO gene never become obese. Yeah. You know, but so that's starting with the end in mind. But, you know, the other side of the equation, uh, again, looking at myself, in talking with the top cell biologists, arguably in the world, and also, you know, a pioneer in epigenetics, right? So Dr. Bruce Lipton, which epigenetics means above genetic control right epi like epidermis is above the dermis your skin so epigenetics is again this is the this is the leading science all other sciences should go below it mm. but our system is still not operating with epigenetics at the tip of the spear which it is and instead we're again we're trying to treat symptoms with pharmaceuticals with synthetic drugs and not looking at what is controlling what is creating the disease expression yeah. And I say that because I wasn't born with a broken hip. I wasn't born with degenerative disc disease. Everything was going pretty good, mm. but something happened. Something happened. I did have it there in my kind of, I quote, genetic cards to have what we call with epigenetics, what it is really. There's environmental Influences that control what your genes are doing, external and internal. So, external meaning your exposure to toxicants, your exposure to other people, your exposure to, you know, to microbes, which I say that purposefully as well, because gene for gene, we have, we're, we are, as humans, we're 99% of our genes that we carry with us, gene for gene. Are the genes of our microbes, not human genes? Mm-hmm. All right. I want people to get that. We have trillions, trillions of bacteria, viruses, archaea, fungi, trillions that live in and on our bodies. And if we're talking about specifically bacteria, that far outnumbers our human genes, right? So even there's even genetic expression, which we know today the genetic expression because of the environmental influence of our bacteria controls our health as well, our health outcomes for things related from everything from heart disease to obesity to cancer and more. So with that said, with this umbrella of epigenetics, something happened along the way. And we could say that, and I don't like this term because it's not exactly how it works, but just to give an analogy of a gene getting turned on or turned off like a light switch. This is not accurate, but it kind of gives us an understanding of kind of what is happening when we say genetic expression. And so there are certain environmental influences that can determine what kind of copies are getting printed out of you, all right, what your genes are doing, okay? And so if I'm exposed to a toxicant, we'll say uh, chlorpyrifos, chlorpyrifos, one of the most widely used pesticides in the United States for many years. Now we've got study after study, increased incidence of birth defects, specifically brain damage to newborn babies from pregnant mothers exposed to it, uh, massive. We're talking 400%, 500%, 600% increase incidence of miscarriage for mothers exposed to this. Uh, it's this very damaging, again, it damages the nervous system and again we think oh it's just the babies. Yeah. What? Every we every one of our cells has an equivalent of a nervous system, right? Even our bacteria cells, we call it these single-celled organisms, mm-hmm. but they're able to respond to pain, to communicate with each other, like just don't get me started. <laughs> Sounds very similar to a nervous system, but we haven't come up with a term for it yet because we don't know shit. Yeah. But we know principles. That's the thing what I'm trying to to implore people to understand, we know principles, but everything that we think we know, there's something that refutes it. So, anyways, um, getting exposure to this, it changes the genetic expression. It changes the outpicturing and how the baby is being manufactured. There's a certain template of how it's supposed to go, but they're being born with a true defect. Now, here's the rub, and I want everybody to really get this. In speaking with Dr. Bruce Lipton and other cell biologists, leading people in epigenetics, less than one percent of all diseases is from a true genetic defect. Less than one percent, and here we are still walking around talking about genes for this, genes for that. It's because of the genes. You have a gene for this. You need to go ahead and get in a, you know, um, an advanced surgery so that the thing doesn't ever happen. It's completely missing the point, less than 1%. Something happens along the way. And with nutrigenomics, nutrigenetics, we know how powerful food is in determining our genetic expression. As again, I mentioned earlier, one of our most prestigious journals, finding poor diets the number one cause of chronic diseases. And the question is, you know, it's just like, well, why, why is that? I know bad food's bad for you because it's fucking up your genes. It's messing up your genetic expression. Man, mind blown right
1: there. So saying that food is the most important thing because we are made of food, I'm curious about, because sleep is equally as important in my opinion and what I've learned and and done research too. Is that true from your research that sleep and food are equally as important as each other, like they're symbiotic?
0: Yeah. So these are all things that our genes expect us to do. Our genes expect us to eat real things that, they've been associating with for millennia, like through our evolution. So yes, and of course sleep, that this brings up, if we talk about evolutionary biology, sleep is so weird. And you think that because this is, we're incredibly vulnerable. You would think that we would have evolved out of it at this point, right? But it's so important for humanity specifically. Baby, like human babies are some of the most vulnerable creatures. Like a giraffe has a baby, like it pops out, you gotta get the fuck up because you've gotta, you gotta you gotta survive right now. All right. Human babies, like, they can't do anything. They're literally, they're just complete and utter, like helpless. And so, but we do a lot more of our development outside of the womb, and babies sleep a tremendous amount. And the same thing for us, we're really just big babies, you know. We we just kind of, you know outpictured and expanded, but we have the same fundamental programming and sleep is where so many different processes take place, specifically with the human brain, for example, you know, like it's during sleep that our lymphatic system that's cleaning out, clearing out metabolic waste from the trillions of processes your brain is doing. um, One of the things that we see with Alzheimer's, one of the main three causative factors is an inability of the brain to clean itself. All right. And so what do we have here in the world right now? A massive sleep epidemic, an insomnia epidemic. And here in the United States, 115 million people are regularly sleep deprived, all right? So when I say that, I'm not kidding. And so, but also again, we see skyrocketing rock, rocketing, uh, rates of Alzheimer's and we're just like, oh damn, this is bad. Like, we, what can we do? Shh, come on, man. Anyway, so, all right, so with this condition, your glymphatic system that cleans the brain, and this is a shout out to the glial cells that that do this process. This system is 10 times more active while you're asleep. It's like, this is when it goes into high gear, cleaning house and making you better. Memory processing takes place while you're sleeping. The list goes on and on and on. So both of these, yes, absolutely. You know, the sleep wellness piece was missing in the conversation, you know, eight years ago when I first started doing content and and talking about this and teaching about it. Now it's, Sleep Smarter, my first book, became the first sleep wellness book to become an international bestseller. The first one. I know the guys, I keep saying this, but I know the guys, like America's sleep doctor, the top sleep experts, you know, in the world. They've written books on the topic, but they weren't really striking that chord. Because number one, making it approachable for everyday people. Number two, expressing very clearly in a way that makes sense, but also is attractive because sleep can be a boring-ass subject. It's like, it's so, if you've got 10 things, options, things to do, you know, even watch Netflix, like fuck sleep. Like why? So it's it's making it more sexy and attractive to talk about it. And number three, the practical things. And in the book, there's 21 clinically proven strategies. Clinically proven, all backed by science, even the weird ones. There's all science to uh to demonstrate how you can improve your sleep quality. And I knew this in my clinical practice. I had I know that people want change. They want change. They want to, they want the weight to come off. They want their blood sugar to normalize. They don't want to be on the cinepril their whole lives. They don't want to be on the statin. I know they want change, but. They don't wanna change that much. As a species, we, are, we get comfortable with who we are. Even if we might not quote like who we are, it's what we know. And so our number one driving force of our psychology is to stay congruent with who we believe ourselves to be. And so getting outside of that, it just needs to be little, little nuggets. And so I went into the data, found those 21 clinically proven strategies and put them together and it changed the culture. And I say that honorably, and, and graciously because I'm not supposed to, if you know my background and where I come from, there's no way, even when I wrote the first version of that book, I lived in Ferguson, Missouri, which everybody's probably heard of at this point because it's notorious for being a place of uh, heightened tensions amongst its citizens and also with those entrusted in policing our citizens. I come from that place it is not we i ne- i never met a person that's went to college let alone graduated from college except maybe like my my teachers like there's no my chance of success is so nil it's 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 insane and it shouldn't be that way because there's so many intelligent wonderful smart people living in these communities living in my community and so for me to have my over there on my bookshelf there's all translations of sleep smarter published by separate publishers in 20 different countries. This book is in bookstores and libraries in Japan. It's incredible. And this is the power of an idea. Everybody listening, you are one idea away from making the impact that you want to make. It's the power of an idea, but not just that. With that, again, it addressed something in the market, but it created an explosion. So many sleep books have come out since. And all, because again, like literally people, and I see it like on Amazon. People are riding the the, the the coattails of sleep smarter success. Like they'll 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 change the name a little bit. Sleep better. Yeah. You know, sleep better. And you know, like riding that. But also some some actual accredited books come out, you know, from very, you know, well-meaning and and, and great researchers. But it's changed the culture. Now we have sleep wellness coaches. Now we have all of these incredible you know, technology associated with improving your sleep quality. But at the end of the day, and to answer this question and bring it all together, food is the most important thing for our sleep quality. Mm-hmm. I said this earlier, You, everything about you is made from food, including your sleep-related hormones and neurotransmitters. The, the very things that enable you to do the sleep thing, to make it actually happen, is made from food. And so we can have the very best mattress and the most fancy, you know, room set up. It's not going to matter if you don't have the raw materials that your sleep-related hormones and neurotransmitters are made of. And so in the book, of course, and in Eat Smarter, I dive in and into the subject and we talk about these good sleep nutrients and really expand it, expand the conversation. Mm-hmm. And we specifically dive in and talk about the things that are, through our diet, these epigenetic influences that are damaging our sleep quality and all the science on that because it exists. So I hope that answers the question.
1: No, it really does. Now, this question might be a little bit stupid, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you done or looked at why the human body is really made up of food? Like why can't it be made up of something else? Why is it specifically food?
0: Hmm. You know, this really, this is this is a wonderful question. This, that's a brilliant question. It's a question that my son, my nine-year-old son, that, that a child would ask because they are more tapped in. You know, so when I when I was talking about this with him, he just didn't believe it. He didn't believe that like we're not made from food. Like it doesn't how how the hell is my like, you know, uh smoothie gonna become a part of my body or somebody else like how the fuck does pepperoni pizza become my skin or my you know my my teeth it is a miraculous very strange process we do not get we don't understand it we can understand principles but the miracle that makes it happen to turn that food stuff into you stuff it's far beyond our comprehension and so with that said so when people see you when people see me when people see anybody listening, when they see you, they see, they see the food that you've eaten or the lack thereof. You know, <laughs> we're literally made from this. So you know we talk about protein as being building blocks. We're largely seeing the proteins that you've eaten. We're seeing the minerals you've eaten. We're seeing the, the, the essential fatty acids you've eaten. The list goes on and on. But the, a lot of stuff that we don't see as well is creating what we do see, because even our appearance is made from the inside out. Beauty is from the inside out. And so, but, you know, we've got beauty markets that focus on, like, put some shit on your skin. Like, it's all this superficial stuff, but truly, you know, this is, you're made from food. And so, to answer that question, it is more nuanced because we're also made of oxygen. Mm. We're also made of water, right? And even that solid stuff that we see is still oxygen, you know, like, you know, if we get into to, again, talking about quantum physics and we get to talking about like what we're really made of and what the universe is made of, we're mostly empty space, you know, like we're we're made of biophotons. We're mm. made of light. it's it's this gets into some really freaky stuff that again, like we don't we're not able to comprehend, and we don't even have the courage to oftentimes because it's just too weird. You know, Einstein even stepped away from some stuff. He's like spooky activity at a distance. you know, we're talking about some of these different topics. You know, he's just like, man, like even that's too weird for me, but here's the thing. And I love, I'm grateful that I just brought up Einstein. There's a quote that's attributed to him that I was really living by that. I didn't realize I was doing until I read his quote. And it's that he said that if you can't explain it simply, you don't know it well enough, Mm -hmm. right? If you can't explain it simply, you don't know it well enough. And there's so much Mysterious things that are just shrouded in unnecessary complexity and the language of academia, when everybody has the right to know these things, and it's not complicated. the system just makes it complicated. You know, so, um, in this same vein with you know, what are we made of? We're made of the elements that are around us, but we don't get it because we we can separate ourselves cognitively, like humans don't get that we are part of nature anymore. You are made from the air. It's not just you are what you eat. You are what you breathe.
1: Yeah.
0: You are what you drink. And also you are what you think. You are what you think. Because I said this at the beginning, your thoughts create correlating chemistry in your body. One of the most powerful epigenetic influences is your beliefs and your thoughts and your perceptions of, about reality. One of the other powerful things that was quoted from Einstein was that the most fundamental decision that you make in your life, the most fundamental decision that you make is whether you live in a friendly or a hostile universe. Mm -hmm. If somebody's intelligent in our culture, we call them an Einstein, right? For him to say a statement like that, the most fundamental decision we make Wow. The most important decision, whether we live in a friendly or hostile universe, because it controls our perception of reality, which controls our biochemistry, right? And now again, we have fields of science that study these things, psychoneuroimmunology, psychoneuroendocrinology, because we keep using science to affirm basic principles about reality, yeah. right? So, yeah. To, to again, to answer that question, it's nuanced because we are so much more but at the ver- the most physical thing we can put our hands on and understand to some degree is that we are made from food we're made from food and water and i talk a lot about water and eat smarter as well
1: i love how you brought up we are what we think because i think that often comes down to how we perceive food in our lives like whether or not because i went through an eating disorder i went through anorexia and bulimia um, back in 2017, 2018, and it never goes away, by the way, it's always, you've got to manage it, uh, a little bit better, I'm, I'm so much better, at the moment, than I was back then, but still, it's, it's very true, like, how I used to see food, it changed over time, because how I saw myself, then reflected on what I thought I could eat, that would then yeah. impact my body, which then, made me, just like, and same with exercise too, so, like, I would go outside and exercise for two hours on end plus because I thought that I was fat and I I wanted the the six-pack abs, you know. Then when I got home, here's here's a funny thing, right? I think you're going to laugh at this. I would eat one kilo bag of spinach a day just straight, straight out of the bag, just as chips almost. And then I would do something even more crazy. I would put cheese sauce on it. So spinach was basically the staple in my diet. Not I didn't have anything without spinach. <laughs> it was
0: spinach juice. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen the Popeye commercials? I have. Popeye that, cartoon.
1: That's where it came from. <laughs> As like I grew up watching Popeye, and I was conditioned to believe that hey, if I ate spinach, I get stronger. You know, so strong
0: to the finish because <laughs> I eat me spinach. Wow.
1: <laughs> so that's what I did man but then what happened was my entire gut just collapsed it it went into lockdown and it wasn't mm. it wasn't happy at all with me eating this one food on a consistent basis yeah. and that also came from my mindset because I thought hey okay, spinach is good for me i've been right. told that it's good for me so therefore i'm going to eat so much of it but there was right. no balance, and right. I just I just love that that analogy that you brought up, especially with the Einstein thing. Uh, it was so simple, but I made it complicated. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's powerful, man. Very powerful. And you know, just to to reiterate with that point, because the actions you were taking were based on your beliefs about reality and your beliefs about who you are, yep. like you just said. You know, and many of us we have varying degrees of of awareness that that this is true. But if we examine, do self, some self-assessment, everything that we do is based on who we think we are. Yeah. I do this, I eat this kind of way because I'm this person. I talk this kind of way because I'm this person. I associate it with my friends and my family because I'm this type of person. We have a belief about who we are and our actions, our be- our beliefs, our thoughts, and our actions are, are all in accordance to who we see ourselves as. And so, you. And ultimately, so many of these different issues with our health, we have to change. This is what makes it so powerful, but yet our system of healthcare sucks at it because you have to change your perception of who you are. That's not for the weak hearted. Mm. It can be, it can actually, the thing is, it can happen instantly, but it's being able to get yourself to the place where you make the decision. Mm. The decision is instant. Any decision we've ever made in our life that has had an impact on our life, it's been instant. The decision is instant, but it's getting ourselves to the place where we make the decision. So that's where the work is at for the healthcare professional, you know, for the coach, you know, for the support system, for the friend. It's just getting our, us to the place for ourselves. We're our number one, we are our number one healthcare provider, mm-hmm. getting ourselves to the place where we make the decision. So I mean, I know, I know we're getting close here on the time, but I think this is a really important topic to talk about because again if you really want to change your life we have to you have to begin to change who you see yourself as yeah. and the most powerful thing is that you get to decide if i ask you who you are if i ask anybody listening who you are we start you know i'm a i'm a father i'm a you know i'm a lawyer or you know i'm a mother i you know i i am a, an entrepreneur you know we start listing these labels we give ourselves we have personality traits, we but we can change all of it instantly, like literally. Will this? Will some negative ramifications happen? Maybe. Like all of a sudden, like if you if you're a mom of three and you know you're an entrepreneur, you could decide to be. You know what? I'm not a mother, and bounce. Mm. I'm not encouraging anybody to do that, but you can instantly change yourself. And I'm saying that from literally from my personal experience. All right, even my, like I mentioned earlier, I've never met my father, don't know who he is. My mother bounced on me as well. Like she changed her belief about what a mother is, okay? And then she changed it to something else later. But those are, okay, those are some, those are some negative examples, but you can start to see yourself as, you know, it doesn't matter, so many of us still got our psychology or our belief about ourselves, From who we were in high school. Yeah. All right. Or, you know, of course, many things come from our childhood, but, or maybe who you were in college. Mm. Maybe you weren't popular in high school and you still got that chip on your shoulder, right? (laughs) You still just feel like I don't fit in or whatever. But you can decide, you know what? I'm the most charismatic and confident person in this city, you know? And just, you can start to not just like fake it till you make it but like be it till you see it kind of thing, you know, like start to embody that. Don't just like, but what, what is a what is a confident person, how do they stand, mm. right? You could change your physiology. How do they, what do they believe? What kind of books do they read, mm. right? If I'm a radiantly healthy person, right? Even if you're not there yet, you start to see and identify yourself as that. Mm okay, so I want to be this person who is free of this condition, fill in the blank, whatever it is, and I'm radiantly healthy. I've lived in a a healthy, vigorous body full of energy. Then you start to ask, okay, how does that person think? What What does that person's habits look like? What does that person eat? How does that person speak to themselves? right mm. so this is getting into where the real transformation takes place like i'm talking like quantum leaps in transformation when we can start to change what we believe about ourselves
1: i love this man i feel like i speak to you all day but i know i've got to be respectful of your time uh two quick final questions for you if you don't mind sure. so because we're talking about food uh this is uh, more of a fun question so What has been the weirdest food combination you've ever tried?
0: (laughs) Oh my God. You know, there's so many things that just came up in my mind. I'll share this one with you. Um, I was at this, this was back, you know, again, being in this field, I cannot say anything with integrity if I have not tried it. So this was like, I was like doing a raw food, Protocol, you like a raw food diet, raw food vegan, which I've done every diet framework that you can name. I've experimented, but I'll do it for like a year, two years to see what happens. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend that kind of experimentation because it will throw your body for a loop, you know. But like paleo, keto, Mediterranean, vegan, all of it. Myself as an, you know, a place of experimentation. So I was doing a raw food protocol and went to this raw food restaurant. (laughs) Uh, here in Los Angeles, but I didn't live here at that time. I lived in the Midwest and I was just out here. So everything is just super weird to me already, just being from the Midwest and being out here in LA. We go to this raw food restaurant and the the chef, this is true story, He's he had taken a vow of silence and he had not spoken to anyone in like 11 years or something, Chef Ito, all right? This is no bullshit. And the crazy thing is, I'm a, again, I'm a very logical analytical person. <laughs> but maybe not if I was doing a raw food diet for that. never mind. Okay. So, and no knock on it, but everything, you know, is there's nuance there, but he kind of spoke to you. It's just like this weird thing. Like you really felt like, like he was, you knew what he was saying. Mm. It's just really, it was a weird, weird situation, but we're all done eating. I'm with this group of people that they're, everybody's just weird to me. But I'm 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 equally as weird because what am I doing there? I I definitely stick out like a sore thumb, most likely, you know. Be again, being from where I'm from, being at a raw food restaurant in Los Angeles. Um, but he brings out this little plate, and there's like a, a tiny little dollop of the size of about a penny of like this liquid on the plate. This tiny little dish is a tiny tiny little plate, and of and a little drop of this liquid. It was just about the size of a penny. And he and a bunch of toothpicks. And literally, my I'm this is exactly what I thought. What the fuck is this? It's exactly what I thought. And then I see people like some of the people like lighting up because they knew what was happening. I did not know what was happening. And I see them take the toothpick and they dip it into that little bit of liquid. It's kind of it's like thick. It's kind of like the consistency of maybe like in between hot sauce and ketchup. It was just a little bit less dense or thick than ketchup. And they dipped it in there and then they put it on their tongue. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, what what is happening here? Why? And so I take my toothpick and join in the fun. I dip it into the little sauce and I put it on my tongue. And I I shit you not, I'm not kidding. I felt like my body. I felt like I was getting a tattoo. <laughs> I felt like somebody was dragging like a tattoo needle, tattoo gun through my, through my arms. It was a ghost pepper and it, but it was like the most strong, I don't know, some kind of legendary, whatever pepper where you literally just take this little dip and it like, you know, gives you all of this, these sensations. And so I say all of that to say the weirdest thing that I've had. And so that was that. And also there was some durian there as well. So in that one night, I had some really, really weird things and some weird experiences.
1: Dude, the one thing that that I'm thinking about is how in the world can you be a chef and take a vow of silence? Like you need to speak to people, don't you? (laughs) Hey, I
0: mean, he made it work. He made it work for himself. It's so weird.
1: Yeah. That is weird. Okay. I love that story. (laughs) Um, My final question for you, Sean, this is my all time favorite question that I ask everyone at the end. So it's a hypothetical. So imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. Your friends have all decided to put together a film or a highlight film, whichever one you want, of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life?
0: Hmm. Uh, um I'm picturing. I wonder if everybody else does this but I'm picturing what the movie would look like I'm picturing the you know the play by play I can tell you you know it, there's feelings attached to it I'll tell you what I'm feeling I'm feeling um I'm feeling very proud I'm feeling like uh I was able to to remind people of how powerful they are I'm feeling so grateful that I said yes, and help to spark real change and real health for our citizens and our world families to solve our bigger problems which the biggest problem is our health but the bigger problems that we we think that we can't solve right now there can't be a problem without a solution and once we get our set our citizens healthier we can start to have healthier conversations so you know being able to see that and to be proud and to 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 know that i tapped into some of the potential that my grandmother saw in me. So she's a big part of the film and her instilling that love and um, and um, confidence and faith in me. Even when everything, I lost everything in my life. I lost my health. I lost my belief in myself. Uh, somebody still held a candle for me, you know, and also, um, you know, seeing my, my kids carrying on, not to necessarily do what I'm doing, but even my older son right now, he's out working with a, a client, he's working with a personal training client. So he's in the fitness space now, uh, health and fitness as well. Uh, but seeing them carrying on just to make an impact in the world in their unique way, with their unique voice and their unique perspective. And you know, at the end, I want my wife to be there you know, even at age of 100, I want her to be 101. Like, I, I, I want her to, you know, I want to go first. I do not want to live a single day without her. So that's it.
1: That's beautiful, man. That is a beautiful, beautiful answer. Well, Sean, where can people find your book? Where can people connect with you, learn more about you?
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, here in the U.S., if folks are listening in the United States, they can pick up the book at anywhere books are sold. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, BAM, you know, Books A Million, Target stores, definitely go out and get a copy or go to target.com, show Target, which is one of the biggest retailers in the world, that this is the kind of information that we wanna see in stores and even shifting the culture of food there. You know, it's that powerful. Um, But also just a heads up, even when this is coming out, the books keep getting sold out. So um, get get a copy like right now, Uh, If it happens to not be there, then get on the little list like Amazon has. You know it'll be back in stock. Get it so that when it comes back, if it's out again, uh, as soon as it comes out, because this is a this is one of those things that's going to be a manual. You know, for for many years to come to refer back to is so so powerful. Uh, Of course, you can if you're in uh, the UK, the um, Australia, it will be published there, but it's going to be a couple. The deal has been done for a while. I wish it would have come out when. You know, the US distribution came out, but um, it'll be there uh looking it's looking like March, but you do not have to wait. You can find ways around this. I think you can even change your location on Amazon. Right. And like people have been messaging me because like my Australian family, oh my goodness gracious, they've been going so hard. There's been many people in Australia who've like paid for crazy shipping amount just to get the book as well. Uh, I cannot wait to come there and to do an event and to ha- have fun. Like this is literally for me. I'm not exaggerating. One of the top five places that I want to to visit and to hang out. Uh, so it's coming up. But you know, you can do that and or maybe you could find a workaround with like Google Books, like audiobooks, um, Apple Books, and Audible as well. So maybe you can get it on audiobook. So many different ways, there's workarounds, but the most important thing is, especially if you're here in the US, get your copy now. And you know, again, we're voting with our dollar. We're showing the market that this kind of information is what we demand. We're tired of all the cookie cutter stuff. We want real health. We want real empowering information for our friends and families. So thank you so much for having me on and for me to to share everything today. It really does
1: mean a lot. Absolutely, Sean. This has been an amazing conversation for me about learning and answering some of the the burning questions that I had in, in my mind. And if people did get something from this, go and buy his book. It's probably going to be 10 times better than this. But honestly, I can't wait to get my copy. But Sean, thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the Story Box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Box. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom. And don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.